Uh, Jim Carrey, uh, you've probably heard of him. He's a comedian, has been for a long time, been in some pretty big movies. Uh, he was given the opportunity to announce the winner of the Golden Globe for Best Comedy. And when you consider what he says, he, he, says a, he shares a critique of a quest for fame. And so at this event celebrating the height of Hollywood hedonism uh, and self-promotion, this is what Carrie said. He said, I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm, I'm not just anyone going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to, to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when, when I dream, I don't just dream about any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winner actor Jim Carrey. Because then, that would be enough. That would finally be true. And I could stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. These are important words. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of, any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. Now, Carrie said this in front of a bunch of other actors, so he was, he was mocking his own profession and even himself. But isn't, it, isn't there a little bit of, of, of us in that critique? Um, this, the story today that we're at is uh, it's a search. A search of people who are searching for something to worship. Uh, it's a fulfillment that is worthy of our worship. Well, we know when we look for something and it, it doesn't fulfill us, then we keep looking, maybe in the same place, maybe in different places. And so in this story today, I'm going to read in just a couple minutes, where will they look? Where are they looking and where do they find it? Well, uh, we've been going through the Elijah series. It's in First Kings, and it's uh, about the prophet named Elijah. And just to recap a little bit, he told a king, King Ahab, that there would be no rain in the land. This, I mean, they, the nation... Uh, Israel was separated into two kingdoms, but things were going pretty well. He says, you know what, you're leading these people into, into worshiping false gods, uh, specifically the god Baal, until I say so. And it happened for three and a half years, no rain. Well, God sent uh, Elijah to a widow to take care of him, which was another message in itself, because widows at the time had no inheritance, they had no right to anything, really. And so for a widow to take care of him just didn't make sense. But God was trying to show that it was only him who provides. And last week we looked at this idea of a man named Obadiah who had to trust both Elijah and God. As we go through our lives and uh, live out our faith, sometimes we have to uh, do it in community. We have to do it with others. We have to trust other people. Well, this week is not the last week of the series, but this is the climax of the story. This is the big moment. And so what I'm going to do this morning is actually a little bit different than I've done than almost how I always how I almost always preach. Usually I read a, a few verses and explain what it means and uh, share some thoughts and questions and go to the next few verses and keep going. Well, today is a, a story that I feel like, I don't know if you remember uh, as a kid, maybe maybe they did that for you, maybe they did, but I remember in like elementary school, we'd sit on the library stairs and the teacher would just read a story to us. Um, and that was it. Now, I'm, I'm gonna kind of do that, I'm not gonna sit but I'm going to read through the entire story at once. I want you to take it in just as that, just a really good story. I'm going to pause a couple times because I think I need to share it, just a couple very short thoughts. But this is going to take about four and a half minutes when I timed it. Uh, so just just try to uh, just soak it in, just a story. It's in, If you want to follow along in your Bibles, it's 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to start at verse 16. 
So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between the two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. This is one pause I'm going to make. Last week you learned that um, Obadiah had hidden the prophets in a cave. And so actually there are many prophets still. There are many people who are following God. They were just hiding. Elijah was the only one willing to speak up. Verse 23. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one, one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said the prophets of Baal, to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first so that so there are so there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bowl given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said, surely he is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping but must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. This is the second place I paused, and the last one until I finished the story. Because I came to this point in the story, and I thought, okay, it's either getting boring or I don't understand it. Because there was this, up to this point, it was really cool. There's, a, there's an altar, and, and uh, 850 prophets are trying to call fire down from their God, and nothing's happening. And Elijah's mocking them. I'm really loving it. Then it gets to this. What's this thing about the altar and the stones? Well, Elijah repaired the altar because the altar was the place where people worshipped God. And if the altar was not in a good uh, setup, if it wasn't the way it was supposed to be, it meant that people actually weren't worshipping God anymore. And so he took the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. At this time, the kingdom was divided up. It was the northern and southern kingdom. But Elijah, he says, no, all 12 are going together. We're not doing these. And then this over here, we'll put them all together. And so I really thought this is a big deal because he didn't let these man-made boundaries separate the kingdom of God. 
it, it wasn't the, you know, there are these kind of Christians and there's these kind of Christians. No, they're all worshiping God. I just like that a lot. Anyway, back to the story, verse 32. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the hole into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. They did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The teacher ran around, or the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. So now it's soaked. Right, they're they're going to start a fire. They're going to call fire now. It's soaked. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are a God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, and answer me, so these people will know that you are Lord God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let any get away. They seized them and slaughtered there. It's not, not the happiest ending to a story, at least for some people. But this is, that's the whole story. Um, I'm not going to go back to a lot of it today. Um, what I, when I read it, I thought I could talk about God's power. If God didn't work through this, if the fire didn't come down when, when Elijah has this, is a terrible story. And most likely those prophets are going to put him to death. Uh, I, could, I thought I could talk about Elijah's boldness. To ask for something so big to happen. I mean, that's, that's a big prayer. I thought we could talk about popular opinion. I mean, it's 850 on one side and one on the other. What side do you join? I thought we could talk about nationalism. The king, King Ahab, he was trying to lead people in one direction, and Elijah was trying to go against that. I don't need to explain the whole story, but I want to, I want to look at one verse. One more time, I'm going to read verse 21, and we're really just going to kind of talk about that the rest of the morning. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Who's not torn in this story? I mean, not just today, but leading up to this, but our, our last couple weeks, uh, we saw Obadiah was this man who said he, he worshipped God, but he was working for King Ahab. And so he was, he was torn. Who, who do I follow, the king or God? Um, then we, we looked at uh, Ahab himself, the king. Well, his, his wife, Jezebel, she's the one that, that worshipped uh, the, the other gods, the, the gods of Asherah, it says, um, but she was leading him to worship the god of Baal as well. And his ancestors, they, they worshipped the god of Israel, or Yahweh, our god. The general crowd, just people who they see their king do one thing, they see a prophet, they see, they see 850 on this side, they see one on this side, and he asked them, guys, how long are you going to keep wavering back and forth? How long, uh, when, when are you going to decide? The Hebrew word that's used uh, for this wavering, um, it, it speaks of like branches or forks, like in a, on a tree or in a, in a road. 
Um, and, and I think about, um, you know, when you were a kid, did anybody ever climb trees when they were a kid? Yeah, it, it was fun to climb trees. And, uh, and I don't know why, kids just have, you have the superhuman strength that you can hold yourself up. I try to do it now, I, I crash to the ground or, or break the branch. But, but you know, you, you climb the tree near the, near the base of it. I'm gonna stand here where I think the tree's planted and the, the branches go out. Well, you get up to a certain point and there's a branch here and do this and another and, and you want, it's fun to climb and hold on to both branches, right? So you hold and you just do this. And, and at some point, though, what happens, because the branches are going straight out, um, they're getting further apart. And so you have to pick a branch. You can't, you can't hang on to both of them that long. That's what this word is. That's what it means. Or, or a, if uh, you're driving. Um, I always, I read this and I thought, I don't walk. I never come to a fork in the path because I don't walk very much. I drive. And so most, most of the adults, you drive. Well, uh, you come up to an exit or a, uh, where the, the interstate splits. You don't know which way to go. You know, I, I remember whenever I first learned to drive, I was, uh, it was 55 and 155, and one goes to Bloomington and one like towards Peoria. Is that right? Yeah, and, and I remember going, and, and you kind of, I think I should go this way. No, it's, it's definitely that. And, and then you drive in that area that you're not supposed to. It's like a green road, uh, grass. <laughs> you, can't, you can't waver. That's what this word is. How long are you staying in the middle and not making a decision? Because really, you're not making it a good decision by not making any decision. We use the, the term sitting on a fence. Uh, Yogi Berra, the, the great catcher from the New York Yankees, he always had a lot of weird sayings that didn't make sense. And, and one of them, he said, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. Now, it's supposed to be humorous because obviously you have to go one way or another, but what he was saying is sometimes we don't. He's probably trying to say pick one path, but it doesn't really help us. But the thing is, sometimes we don't choose. You know, you have to go one way or another, so you just stop or you don't choose, which is worse than picking a path. I think, uh, practically speaking, I would ask questions like, what do you go to for fulfillment? Because the thing is, we're not worshiping false gods. I don't think any of us in here are torn between worshiping our God, the God of Israel, the God that sent Jesus, um, or uh, a false God. I know there are other religions out there, but, but I think, practically speaking, if you're in church here today, there's a good chance you, you've already decided which God you're going to worship. So I don't think we're, we're torn there. I think we're torn in terms of our fulfillment. Um, where do I go? And does it work for more than a short time? Um, and, and if I, if I go there for, for fulfillment or happiness or contentment, uh, and I keep going there, do I ever think it's gonna work if it hasn't worked so far? In 2014, there was a, well, Microsoft paid two and a half billion dollars to buy this company called Mahjong AV. It was a Swedish company that made the game Minecraft. And the deal made the, the guy who owned the company or, or founded it, Marcus Person, a billionaire. Uh, he, was, uh, he left with $1.3 billion. Person promptly outbid Beyonce and Jay-Z for a Beverly Hills mansion, mega mansion, $70 million home, that had been described as an overwhelming sensory experience. The, the listing said that it, outfitted, it was outfitted with insane amenities like Eminem Towers, tequila bars, movie theater, and 15 bathrooms, each equipped with toilets that cost $5,600 each. It's a lot to pay for a toilet. They all do about the same job. But on August 29, 2015,
person posted a series of tweets that captured um, his sense of unhappiness and dissatisfaction. At 4.48 a.m., staying up late, he said, or got up early, he said, the problem with giving everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying, and the human inter interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. At 4.50 a.m., hanging out with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. 4.52 a.m., when we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of, and they all hate me now. 4.53 a.m., found a great girl, she's afraid of me and my lifestyle, and went with a normal person instead. Now, he obviously dumped a lot all at once, it was out there, you could take it back. But I share this because this is, I think, one of our choices. We're not choosing between worshiping the two gods. We're choosing between giving our full devotion to God or doing what makes us happy or doing what the, the, the world around us, our culture tells us will make us happy, which oftentimes is money or wealth, power, status. And so why do we hesitate? Why do we procrastinate and delay and avoid and deny from making the commitments that really matter? What keeps us wavering? In matters of faith, it's not, it's not always that we doubt. It's just that we don't want to give it all. We don't want to fully devote. There are some things, I think. Our intentions. Our intentions are not enough. Just meaning to do something, it doesn't cut it. Meaning to do something and intending to do something, or actually doing it, doesn't work. There's a big difference. There's an old saying that, that says the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I run, in, I run into people all the time um, outside of this building that I used to see a lot and now I haven't seen in a long time. And I never ask about church. I don't want, I don't, if I don't see it for two years outside here, don't think I don't care. I just, I'm not the attendance police and I'm not the judge. I want, I want everyone here. And so I never say like, hey, I haven't seen you at church for a while or even like, I just don't feel like that too was probably the productive way to go. But I can't tell you how often when I say, hey, how are you doing? First thing, hey, I was, I was thinking about coming back to church and I just got real busy. I, did, I just asked how you were doing. But I think what happens is when we share our intentions, it makes us feel better. When, when, when someone says, oh, I was meaning to get back to church, then in their mind, they, they go to church. They just haven't been for a couple weeks or a couple years. You know, and it, it's like, well, I've been meaning to lose weight, so it makes me feel better. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fit person. Uh, I've been meaning to eat vegetables, and then we eat vegetables on Monday. And then, like, Tuesday, it's like, well, pizza, and Wednesday, spaghetti, and Thursday. I have vegetables Monday. We don't eat them every day, do we? You know, like, our intentions just, just doesn't always... Uh, line up with what we uh, what we actually do. It's just like in our faith. Int intentions are not enough. A life has to be built on a foundation of commitments and then follow through with action. Elijah lived through exactly what we see. Run out of time. People run out of time. That's what happened in the story with all these people who were on that side worshiping false gods. Putting our faith on a back burner just is not a good idea. Augustine said, God has promised forgiveness to our repentance. But it's not promising. And so what keeps us from this full devotion? I know we have intentions to give everything to God. We know we put Him first. Uh, and I'm not 
just talking to, talking to myself too. I, I always want to do better, and I always intend to do better, and then sometimes life just keeps me from doing better, or my focus in life. And so I found this, uh, um, another preacher, uh, Justin Buzzard's his name, he shared this, what he said was an assessment, assessment tool to determine what idols are keeping us from being fully devoted. And he said that it's actually our insecurities that keep us from trusting God fully. He said that you know you have a control idol if your greatest nightmare, nightmare is uncertainty. Make sense? You know you have an approval idol if your greatest nightmare is rejection. You know you have a comfort idol if your greatest nightmare is stress or demands. Okay? And you know you have a power idol if your greatest nightmare is humiliation or embarrassment. I've never really looked at it together like that. I mean, I think like, okay, there's stress and demand. Some are un, uh, unwarranted stress, some are unfair, some are fair and, and should be done. So we want to be comfortable or we want to work. Something like uh, humiliation or embarrassment for power. Do we, do we care what people think about us or do we care about how we actually live? Um, I, I can see that. We have, we have to quit giving into rivals, whatever they are. See, God proved to all those people in front of Elijah that he alone answers um, or has the power and is the only one worthy to be worshipped. Jesus made it very clear, you can't have two masters. Um, at that point, it was, it was the God of Israel or the false gods. Um, when Jesus shared this, he, he was talking about um, God and money. You're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. And which one's it going to be? He said, you can't be lukewarm. you got to be hot or cold or you're going to be spit out. He demands every part of us. That's, it's not because he wants us to be a slave to him even though we are slaves to righteousness, it's because he knows what's best for us. And until we have, we're going to continue to go to our idols, we're going to worship other things, we're going to trust other things, we're going to look for fulfillment in other things, because we don't believe that God will do it for us. We don't believe that he will fill that emptiness. So it's a, it's a tough cycle. In January of 2010, uh, Grant Desme, he shocked the baseball world by announcing his retirement. Now, you're probably thinking, I've, I've followed baseball. I've never heard of Grant Desmond. Maybe you have. Odds are you haven't. He shocked the world because he was only 23. He was a second-round draft pick in the Oakland days. He was on the verge of playing in the majors. And he left behind a, a big contract because he wanted to pursue a life of simplicity in order to become Brother Matthew at St. Michael's Abbey in Silverado, California. And in 2013, a reporter asked him, he said, do you miss playing baseball? Desme said he still enjoys playing baseball with his friends, but then he added this. He said, I still don't miss playing professionally, but I've come to enjoy the game of baseball itself more. When I let go of it as my idol, I was unable to enjoy it for what it's worth. And, and I, I'm going to pause for a second because this is the part that I want you to hear this, not just for baseball, but for anything. Whatever, whatever your idol is, whatever's keeping you from devoting to God, when he said this, and I thought, man, this is perfect for all of us, whatever our idol is. He said, when you're projecting your own designs on something and taking it more seriously than it should be, you don't get what God intended you to get out of it. When you simply accept, accept things for what they are and don't expect more than what they can give, you experience the satisfaction you're supposed to. Just like that a lot, putting, putting things in the proper place. When we go to something, whether it's uh, one of those idols from the assessment room, or maybe you can just think, man, 
well, no, I'm always thinking about this. This is, this is taking a whole lifetime. Or I'm always worried about this. Um, or I really want to have more control of this. Or I need more of this because it will make me happy. Whatever um, the, this, this statement. Because we're going to worship something. We're going to be devoted for something, uh, to something. Whether it's God or something else. And, and he says you're either for it or against it. So as we go into our, our time of communion, I'm going to finish up here pretty quickly. Uh, I want to go back to that story, the story we read first, because these false, uh, these worshippers of false gods, they were cutting themselves. They were letting their, pull, their blood pour out. It didn't work. Our God allowed himself to be cut. His blood poured out through Jesus on the cross. And then he responded to the resurrection. Elijah had the fire coming down to show we have the cross and the burial and the resurrection to show us, uh, and that's our reason for not wavering through. We really shouldn't wait. It's that story, I read it once, but he sees the prophets, don't let them get away. They slaughtered them all. The result of not deciding, the result of wavering and, and, and just going, you know, maybe I'm not going to go all the way over there, but maybe I'll, I'll be here on, on Sunday, maybe even Tuesday. By, by Thursday, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll forget about God until Sunday again. If we don't give it all, we're wavering. And we see from this story that the result was judgment. I know it seems harsh when I read that story. That's a lot of people just being slaughtered at once. Don't they get another chance to repent? I think the reason that they were slaughtered is because they were held more accountable, because they were leading other people away from Jesus, from God. I don't know if they knew specifically Jesus at the time. But we will be held more accountable when we lead others away from God or Jesus. Idolatry, that was the issue for all of them. It's still the same sin today. Even if we're not going and worshiping the God of Baal, if we worship anything else, um, we're, we're sinning the same way. We know that judgment will come. It will be delayed. It will be a day for it. It will be judgment day. We have to make a decision. None of us are perfect. But can we pursue being more faithful? And so to the non-Christian, know that you're invited to be a part of this now and forever. And to the Christian, we have to decide, do I want to I want to follow Jesus occasionally, or I want to give him my complete devotion? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for another story. Um, the, the Bible uh, is uh, such a, a powerful uh, resource tool, way of life, however we want to look at it. We know there's so much in there uh, that points to you, uh, that points to uh, who you are and what you're about. We see the, the love uh, that you showed uh, by answering Elijah's prayer, someone who followed you. We know that uh, you showed us that through Jesus even more. And so I pray for all of us here uh, that you would just help us, uh, help show us what it means. Sometimes we talk about uh, what it means to worship idols and being fulfilled, and it's just hard to pinpoint it. And so I pray that what, whatever it looks like for each individual here, that you would just push them in that direction, that they would follow you. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's his name we pray.